Drop. Amen. Amen. Our kids are dismissed to Children's Church this morning. You're with Miss Jordan this morning. And it has been a long week here at uh, Northwest Baptist, but we are here and we are excited to be with you uh, to worship together. Uh, this will be our last time in the gym. Amen. This will be our last time. Amen. And online, thank you for joining us. I want you to know that next week, the Lord willing, if the Lord, if the Lord tarries, if the Lord does not return until the 11th, we will be in the new renovated worship center over there. So don't come over here next week because we will be over there. We will have two services, a 9 a.m. service and a 10.45 service. Our 9 a.m. service will be very strict on our social distancing. We will have a limited number of people. If you have not been with us for a long time, this is a great opportunity to come to the church in a safe way and uh, as safe as possible as we can get, and we're going to stay away from each other and make sure that our 9 a.m. service is a safe environment for those who have not been with us for over six months now. So we want to offer that, just in case there are some that would like to come and see the newly renovated worship center. It gives our tech team an opportunity to figure things out over there, and we're excited to be in there. Today, we're gonna be dedicating the new welcome Center, which is fantastic, and the Lord has done amazing work. We're going to talk about that at the end of the service. One of the things that I wanted to mention that Ray mentioned to me after we did our outreach on 23rd Street, he mentioned to me this, and I, I want you to hear this. He said, I will never drive 23rd Street again and not think about the individuals and the people that are behind these businesses and the people that live in this neighborhood. That pierced my heart to understand that our people, God's people, love this neighborhood. They love 23rd Street. They love this place. A few years back in uh, 1996, I, I'm, I'm getting off track. I don't normally do that, but I am because the Lord's leading me there. But in 1996, a team of individuals got together and they were praying about moving the church, moving to the suburbs, moving to, to, to where the rich people are. And they thought about maybe we should move there to, for the sustainability, the financial sustainability of God's church here at Northwest. And they prayed about it. They went to Falls Creek and, 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 and Reagan has told me they prayed about it overnight at Falls Creek, this, this team of, of individuals at the time. And the Lord revealed to them at that moment that even though they thought it might be better for the best interest of the church, that the gospel needed to be shared here on 23rd and Drexel, and that we needed to stay here as a church for a purpose of shining God's light here. Amen? And so 24 years later, we're here, and we're not only here, but we're here to do the work of God and to proclaim the gospel of God to 23rd Street and to this city, amen? And so next week when we move in there, we're gonna praise the Lord, yeah, amen. 
When we move in next week, we're gonna remind ourselves of what God has done and his favor upon his church. Because these things don't just happen. They happen because of God's favor, his grace, and his mercy. Even though we are undeserving of these things, God has granted us these things, the ability to fix up our church and to present ourselves in worship to a holy and righteous God. In this series in Acts, we have seen the power of God in the early church, the Holy Spirit moving in very powerful ways, in very visible ways in the early church. We have seen the people of God devoted to the word of God, to prayer and to community that encourages one another, boldness and proclamation amidst persecution. And now we see that even amidst the struggle, even amidst the time of persecution from the religious leaders, the church continues to proclaim the gospel. The church continues to do what God has called the church to do. It is what the church from the beginning does. It bears witness to the risen King Jesus. There is nothing more fulfilling in life than living for something greater than yourself. And as believers in Christ, we live for Christ, not for ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 4, we see God showing Paul, through Paul, God speaking to the Ephesian church what the church is to be about. He sets aside some. He gives gifts to men and he sets aside some as leaders and pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. He equips the saints for the work of the ministry, the proclamation of the gospel, the minister of the word of God, ambassadors of Jesus Christ, witnesses of the glory of God through the resurrection of Christ and proclaiming that to a lost and dying world in the process, encouraging one another as we gather together as the church. So that's what we see here in Acts. We see the church that is building itself up in love so that we can be about the ministry that Christ has for us, specifically proclamation of this good news and testifying or bearing witness to the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who is coming again. This is the beauty of the church, the people of God who are saved by the blood of the cross. They are declared righteous by Christ himself and they stand as witnesses of the saving work of Christ and the transformational work of the Holy Spirit. The church stands as a witness. That's why we've, we've entitled this sermon this morning, Witnesses of the gospel. Now witness is a legal term for someone to testify of what they have seen and what they have heard. But it's interesting to note when we read this, I want you to keen in on one part of this scripture. It's not only the apostles who are witnesses, but also the, the Holy Spirit bears witness. 
Thus the Holy Spirit is given to us, his church, and thus bears witness or proclaims the gospel of Christ. So let's read together in Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Would you stand with me in the reading of God's word as we stand together, as we focus on what God wants to speak and say through his word this morning in honor of reading God's word? If you were with us on Wednesday night, we talked about Nehemiah, and when Nehemiah proclaims the word, he stands up and he opens the word of God to the people, and the people begin to stand up in the hearing of the word of God and they raise their hands and they shout amen, amen at the hearing of the word and it begins for them to cry. They begin to cry, tears begin to shed because of the repentance in which the heart is desiring to go back to the Lord God Almighty. If you missed Wednesday night, look online, it's a good one. So if Acts chapter five, verse 17, but the high priest rose up and all who were with them, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach Now when the high priest came, those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the, the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard, heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at the right hand of the leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You may be seated, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning as we preach your truth. May you speak to our hearts. May you... Father, you build your church with individuals who proclaim the truth, the gospel. Father, raise up teachers among your flock here at Northwest Baptist that will proclaim the truth of the gospel, that will teach your word, not only in in the masses, in the community groups, Father, but to their children, to their spouse, to their co-workers. 
Father, raise up a generation in which craves your word, that hungers after your truth, that, that, that bears witness to Christ and stands upon that witness even when people do not want to hear it. Lord, we desire for you to be glorified through our lips, through our words as a church, for your glory. Help us to be people that are sent on mission, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 13 years ago, I was standing in front of all my family and friends. You know, there's only a few times in your life in which you have all your family and friends at that time. I didn't have some of my new family and friends that I have here at, at Northwest 13 years ago, but you would have been invited if, if you were there. But we were standing in front of all our family and friends, me and Jordan, friends, and the doors in the back of the church swung open and everyone stood up to witness the bride, right, coming down the aisle next to her dad. Her dad's holding her this beautiful bride but something happened as I was standing up front and I looked toward the back and people were standing up and the doors were open, but I could not see my bride. Could not witness her walking down the aisle. It was a side aisle. So if you're just wondering why I couldn't, it was a side aisle. People were standing up. There was a lot of people there. The way that the, the, the church was built, you couldn't see. And I, I wasn't about to waste that moment. So I sprinted to the side aisle to witness her coming down, beautiful as ever. And then she got to the bottom and I'm like, okay, what do I do? So I'm kind of backpedaling, right? And I'm just trying to figure out what do I do in this moment? We didn't practice this. Uh, yes. But I'm sure if you've lived life as long as you have, that you have witnessed beautiful things in your life. That was a beautiful moment for me and Jordan. You've probably also witnessed some very painful things in your life. But there is nothing more beautiful than what Christ did for his bride, the church. There's nothing more beautiful than the gospel message itself. I don't know if you've ever looked at all the popular movies, like the big, big, big movies, the, the gigantic movies that, that, that people just go to multiple times over and over and over again. Usually there is a gospel theme in these movies. People love them. I don't know if you've ever seen Harry Potter. I, I, don't, I don't really care about Harry Potter. There's a gospel theme 
in Harry Potter. There's a gospel theme in Lion King. There's a gospel theme in Star Wars. There's a gospel theme in Frozen in which someone gives their life for someone else or for the greater good. The good overcomes evil through the sacrifice of another. These message, Hollywood just copies the message of the gospel. It is so beautiful because this God in heaven loves his creation so much that he would be willing to come down from heaven to die on a cross, a humiliating death, so that we could have this life in which Paul Or Peter says here, this, the words of this life. Jesus in my place. This is simplified as the good news message that this is what the church is destined to proclaim. Last week when we talked about um, Acts chapter five, we saw the ugliness of sin within the body of Christ where we saw Ananias and Sapphira lying about their giving to make them look better than they actually are, not glorifying God, but wanting to glorify themselves. And we see this picture, God strikes them dead. And we see this picture that God cares about his church. He cares about the testimony of his people. Yet God is a God of grace and mercy. Why don't I strike down dead every time I mess up in the church of God? Because trust me, I've messed up before. It's because of God's grace and his mercy. But God shows us this story to show us the seriousness of sin within the body of Christ. The church ought to reflect the glory of God so that the proclamation of the gospel will be confirmed through his people. It's so interesting if you look back at verse 14, we skimmed over it last week, but in chapter five, verse 14, and more than ever, this is after Ananias and Sapphira, this is after they've been exposed and the people heard about this, they heard about the holiness of God. Verse 14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women Why? Because they heard about the glory of God, the holiness of his church. This is a beautiful picture for us. And now we get into round two of the fight with the religious leaders and the apostles. First time it was Peter and John who heal this, this, this lame beggar at the gate called Beautiful. And they, they say, we don't have any silver or gold, but what we do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And they pick him up and he walks and he proclaims this testimony about the name of Christ. And, and then the religious leaders are questioning. They're going, Who, whose name are you doing these things under? What's, what's going on? They put them in prison and, and they say, don't. 
talk about the name of Jesus. And now we have round two, verse 17, but the high priest rose up. Remember, this is the same high priest who, who declared to crucify Jesus, the false testimony of Jesus. The high priest rose up, all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, with the, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Notice, religious leaders are filled with jealousy. Jealousy has no place in the, in the church of God. We celebrate. We celebrate when the Lord does something through someone else. We celebrate. But notice, the angel when they're put in prison, the angel comes to them, the angel of the Lord who opens the prison doors, he commands them, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Do not stop proclaiming the words of this life. This is our first point this morning. Proclaim the gospel at all times. Proclaim the gospel at all all times. Church, we cannot stop speaking of all the things, all the words of this life. Jesus, before he returns to the right hand of the Father, before he ascends into heaven after his resurrection, he gives specific instructions to his disciples. Acts chapter one, verse eight says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The first time the, the apostles are thrown into prison, it's Peter and John. Now it says that all the apostles are now with them. The angel of the Lord comes to them in the prison and he breaks them out. The first time, remember, they come out and they pray and be, their prayer is for boldness. They ask the Lord for boldness and they continue to speak the word with boldness. Here, here it is again, they're in prison after they've told them, stop proclaiming this gospel. And they say, we cannot stop. We're gonna obey God or are we going to obey man? This life. Guess what? The gospel and its proclamation is not always easy. Right? I mean, Pastor, I've got 3,000 things to do. Did you know that there's a coronavirus going on? Pastor, I've got to get my hair cut. I've got a workout plan I've got to tend to. 
Don't mention my kid's gymnastics class. Oh, by the way, I've got my job to consider. I've even got my service within the church that I have to do. When do I have time to share the gospel with other people? You see, the gospel is not something that you do. It becomes natural when it becomes who you are. Here's a thought to consider. Why don't you track your conversations on a given week, just one week, Monday through Sunday. What's your conversations look like? How many conversations are about sports, college football? How many of your conversations are about yourself? What you have to do, what you're doing. How many uh, of your conversations are about the gospel, about Christ and the word of God? How many times have you had conversations with your spouse about the gospel? How many times have you had meaningful conversations around the gospel with your children? You see, if we truly believe that we are to proclaim it to a lost and dying world, we need to be encouraging one another in the gospel. So what does this look like? I'm gonna break it down for you. What does this look like? Hey, Steve, how are you today? All right. Well, I'm not too good, Rob. I just got laid off from work. All right. This is a normal conversation with normal people. Okay, most of us, myself included, would most likely say, man, Steve, so sorry about that. I'll pray you find another job. The problem is we didn't really truly encourage Steve in the gospel right there. We let Steve know that we cared about him. That's good. But we didn't speak the truth of the word of God or the gospel into Steve's life. How do we do that? We must dig a bit deeper. We must get to the heart. To enter into gospel conversations, we must get to the heart of people. So the next question for me with Steve would be this. How is your heart with losing your job? With your children, how is your heart from striking out? How is your heart from your friend not wanting to play with you? Steve's probably not gonna say, you know what, I'm happy as can be. No, he probably says something to the effect of, you know what, I'm really struggling finding hope right now. My joy has run out and I'm not sure where to go from here. Enter good news. You know, Steve, This world is completely broken. We see all of the fallenness around us, and yet in the midst of this brokenness, God still loves you, brother, and he has a plan for you. He loves you enough to die for your sins and grant you eternal life. Do you not think that he also knows what you need, brother? I will pray for you. Do you see the difference? 
One is, I will pray for you. You care for him. One is encouraging the brother in the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying, you know what? The gospel is true. You know what? God is real. You know what? God has a plan for your life. You know what? Christ died for your sins. Does he not care about your job? Of course he does. And you know what? That brother will come away encouraged in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is this gospel something that you just do in proclamation? Oh, I, got, I got to check that off. I, you know, I got I to gotta share with this person. I got, you know, or is it who you are? And maybe you have to get to a point. Maybe you have to you know, push yourself out there to, to go and give cookies. Ray, Ray Plant, great job. Maybe you have to, maybe you have to go with Ray to go to these businesses and talk to people. But guess what? As he said in his testimony, it stirs our heart for these people to become who we are. This is simply what the church is about. Encourages one another in the gospel of Christ. Shares it with the lost and dying world. And this is what this angel of the Lord says to his apostles, look, do not stop speaking the words of this life. When we stop speaking the words of this life to our children, to our spouse, to our community group, in our conversations, guess what? The world will swallow us up and we will find other things that keep our time and energy our focus. I'm sure you heard this quote from Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you heard that multiple times. I don't really like the quote. I'm not sure that it's biblical. And I think that sometimes people use it as a crutch to not proclaim the gospel with their words. You see, proclamation of the gospel happens through word and deed. One without the other is meaningless. A person who tells me about the gospel, yet their heart is far from reflecting the glory of God, that is meaningless. The gospel is not true. Think of a marriage. The gospel is to be reflected between a husband and a wife. How can you talk to your kids about the gospel if you're not reflecting the gospel in your marriage? Your kids are seeing that the gospel is not very true. When they see a husband and wife divorce, when they see a husband and a, and a wife not able to love one another in the most intimate relationship, the kids grow up saying, you're preaching this gospel to me, but I don't see it in your life. person who tells me about the gospel yet their heart is far from reflecting the glory of God is really no gospel at all and yet someone who shows me the gospel yet never tells me about Christ robs me of the joy that is to be found in Christ if we give good deeds and, and do good things for people but not in the name of Christ not because of what God has done in our life and we don't tell others about that joy how can they have that joy how can they hear the good news Romans 10 13 says this 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. See, this is what we are called to do as the church. I read you Ephesians chapter four. We are equipping you and sending you to proclaim the gospel. This is what the angel of the Lord says to the apostles. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. Proclaim about Jesus. Speak the words, all the words of this life. So the chief priests, the next day, they go look for the apostles in the prison. Guess what? They're not there. They're gone. Angel of the Lord's let them out. But where are they? They're in the temple proclaiming the truth that they just told them not to proclaim. Rebels. Verse 25, and someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with the teaching, amen. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. And then Peter says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus on whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. He responds with the gospel. I lost my place. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So, so it's just hilarious. Peter says, we told you not to proclaim Jesus. Well, here's the gospel. <laughs> this is our second point this morning. The Holy Spirit bears witness of the gospel. The Holy Spirit bears witness of the gospel. I just found this so fascinating in my study. The spirit of the living God bears witness about Christ. John 15, 26 says this, speaking of the Holy Spirit, it says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, Jesus is speaking, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness about Christ. Holy Spirit is proving that Christ did resurrect from the dead. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness that Jesus is who he said he is, the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him. This means the apostles who were with him, with Jesus at Calvary, who ate the Last Supper with Christ, who saw him carry the cross, who, saw, who heard him shout in a loud voice, it is finished, who saw the resurrected 
Christ, who placed their hand in his hands. They witnessed these things. Did you? I did not. I wasn't there. Hopefully 2,000 years ago, I wasn't there. But the same spirit that lives inside of these apostles in the early church, the very spirit of God who lives inside of his church is with me. And he bears witness of the resurrection of Christ. This is the church. Not only do we have the word of God as the truth about Christ, but we also have the Holy Spirit as a witness of the gospel message itself. This should bring about great encouragement for you as a believer. It should. It means it's not all about you. It means it's not all about how good you can proclaim the gospel. It's not all about how much knowledge you have. It's not all about how smooth you are in your transition. It's not uh, all about how well you can understand Steve and his heart. It's about the Holy Spirit and empowering the Holy Spirit inside of you to proclaim this truth through the word of God. Witness. It's a legal term often for someone testifying to what they have seen and heard. It verifies what is true. In a court, a witness must swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help him God. That's, that's hard to come by in this political season. I understand that. But this is what a witness does. It tells the truth. And the church is on trial. The church is the witness for Christ. And we testify that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. Thus our life ought to bear witness to the resurrected Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit. There's a book that was written that I had to read in one of my um, seminaries. It was called Reclaiming Glory, in which the author says that the church has become stagnant. The American church has become stagnant. And that there are a lot of churches that are plateaued or declining in every measurement that you have. And these stagnant churches are not proclaiming and they're not sending. And thus, they're not reflecting the glory of God. And in, in the book, he talks about revitalizing the church in order to reflect the glory of God. That there is great need in the American church for God's glory to shine forth through the proclamation of God's people proclaiming the truth, bearing witness of who Christ is and the Holy Spirit inside of them. It's almost like Nehemiah 
when he heard about the walls in Jerusalem that had been torn down, he was so burdened, so overwhelmed that he had to fast for many days. He had to pray unto the Lord for many days. Why? For God to restore his glory, reclaim his glory in his city, Jerusalem. And honestly, we need to pray for that amongst his churches, that God reclaims his glory amongst his church, that those that are in the church proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world because we are on trial. to reflect the glory of God, his goodness, his grace, and bear witness through the power of the Spirit of God. These men will not be silent no matter what opposition they face. These religious leaders become furious. If you continue reading, they become furious. One of their own stands up among them and and says, well, if it is not of God, it will fail. But if it is of God, you might find yourself opposing God. Very interesting. The mentor of Paul, Gamaliel, student of Paul, which we'll see Paul in chapter 6 will be introduced to a man named Saul. But he has this thought. You could be opposing the Lord God Almighty. In verse 40, it says this. We're almost done. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from the house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They counted themselves worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Church, this is point number three this morning. Rejoice in suffering for the name of Christ. This is where we get the word in the Greek, martyr. The Greek witness is martyrios. Many throughout history of the church knew that if they were going to stand up and bear witness about Christ and about the gospel of Christ, they would end up losing their life. Every apostle, every apostle that is in here that tells a story, except for John, church history says, gave their life as a martyr. John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. They gave their life for the name of Christ. This begins the persecuted church, and you will see often God uses persecution for the advancement of his kingdom. If you look at it today, see the fastest growing church is in places in which the church is being persecuted. China, Iran. 
These places are being persecuted at high, high levels, and yet the gospel is advancing in great, great numbers. The Christian life is not actually meant to be easy. Proclamation of the gospel when declaring Jesus is the only way will either make people upset or lead them to Christ. We see this throughout the history of church. We see this unfolding in Acts before us. Very few times in church history is someone's life advanced in society by proclaiming the gospel. It's a very dangerous time. We have found ourselves in America the past 200 years because there has been very little persecution of the gospel up until now. And as a result, you have many false teachers who declare what the people want to hear rather than the truth of the word of God advancing their own agenda instead of God's word. As a result, you see a health and wealth gospel, a work-based gospel, a watered-down gospel. But these apostles, they found joy in the midst of suffering because in their suffering they proclaimed Christ. And thus they were able to reflect the glory of God. It was not about their circumstance, but counted it worthy to be dishonored for the name of Jesus, the great God who died on a tree to give forgiveness of sins. In the coming days ahead, most, most likely the church will be persecuted in America if you haven't experienced it yet, you will. If you're proclaiming the gospel in your workplace, in your school, on the street corner, you will receive persecution for that. And yet, what we see here is we don't stop. We continue to look to the word of God, the good news message about Jesus, and proclaim it. Proclaim it in our home. Proclaim it when it's unpopular. Proclaim it in our workplace. Proclaim it in our school. And we glorify Christ as a beacon of light, a lighthouse for ships wandering in the darkness that want to see eternal life. This story is all about proclamation of the gospel, witnesses of the gospel in the early church, and I pray that Northwest would be the same kind of church as we see early in Acts. People standing up and proclaiming the truth, knowing the truth, and being bold in the midst of persecution. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truths of your word.